From the KLYT Broadcast Studio, this is ABQ Connect. Your input on today's topic is important to us. Join in the conversation by calling 505-338-5790 or text 505-585-LIVE. ABQ Connect. Another great store uh, show in store for you today. We'll uh, introduce our guests momentarily. Uh, Jim Williams uh, earlier this week had guests in from uh, For the One on Monday's show, uh, and they have an event coming up that you really need to know about. It's called Vulnerable No More with the Fam. Uh, it's happening at uh, New Covenant Church, Paseo del Norte, between Louisiana and Wyoming. And it's happening tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. It's a free event. Uh, it's really designed for those at the age of 11 or more. Uh, parents, you probably uh, can best determine uh, which of your kids uh, you should involve in this. But it, the idea of it is to normalize conversations in this community surrounding child sexual exploitation and how to prevent it. It is prevalent uh, here in New Mexico. I mean, uh, uh, with uh, our connection to another country, uh, just down I-25 and other things, just living in a fallen world. And now this free event is tomorrow night at New Covenant Church uh, at 6 p.m. And it is presented by For the One. You must register, though, if you plan to be in attendance or uh, to be a part of it on online. It's going to be uh, live online as well. Here's the website to go to to participate it's vulnerablenomore.org, uh, and there you can register and get all the information you need about their event with the fam, vulnerablenomore.org. All right, let's jump into uh, today's broadcast uh, in studio with us. Uh, Ray Mondragon is here, uh, professor at Schaefer Seminary uh, and uh, part of the, the uh, uh, New Mexico uh, Creation Science Fellowship uh, and also with us, uh, Dr. Marshall Jordan, uh, retired. Congratulations, by the way. I hope you're enjoying your retirement. <laughs> Certainly am. Yeah. <laughs> Getting, uh, uh, well, and actually, you know what? I was talking with someone about this the other day about someone else. Like, actually, I'll, I'll tell you, we're talking about Steve Stucker, okay. you know, who's, yeah. who we all know has retired. Right. Not, uh, <laughs> uh, keeps busy and doing good work as do uh, both you guys. And we appreciate all that, that you do. Um, and, um, uh, Ray, I will uh, throw it to you because uh, what you'll do is just, uh, you know, kind of summarize uh, the uh, introduction and maybe, you know, uh, remind people where we left off uh, and, and more uh, in-depth inter introduce our guest. Well, as uh, you're probably aware, this is our 52nd session. So we've been doing this for five years now. Wow. Did you know that? That's I don't not, <laughs> uh, but not you and I, just, just about well, a year, maybe you and I. Yeah, you and I about a year. Uh, but but uh, so yeah, we've Jim. been we've been covering as many topics as we've been able to on creation science, and the last several months we've been focusing in on the age of the universe, and this is important because the secular view this saturates the mind, particularly of young people, high school, even younger, and certainly college people, that the earth is billions and billions of years old. And there's a whole lot more young people than there are older people, right, Ray? Right now. <laughs> it seems like it's, it's changing, though. It's getting better. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, when they go to college, they're kind of caught off guard unless they have a little bit of a yeah. biblical foundation. And that's what we're trying to do is to 
show that God is not only creator, but he's told us how he's done it. And he's given us even a time frame that goes totally contrary to the secular. So we're talking about the age of the universe, except last time because of the invasion of Israel. And I don't yeah. know if you noticed, I came in uniform for your radio audience. He's wearing an IDF uh, shirt, by the way. Uh, yeah. Way That's support. for your audience. Or radio support the audience. team. Yeah. That's right. Uh, we took a little diversion because of the occasion that uh, presented itself. And we talked entirely on Israel, current events. And I had uh, David Halevi, who was going to do a seminar that last uh, Yeah, he the was month. headed back to Galilee, uh, yeah, that, that, that region, which is right. still a place that be praying uh, for Israel in whole, uh, right. for the IDF, for the leaders, for Bibi, for everyone, for yep. the Christians uh, that are there. Uh, and, and of course, uh, the horrific things we we. Uh, we witnessed on October 7th. Yep. Um, and what we're, what we're interested in is truth. Yeah. And truth is our bottom line. And wherever the truth leads, that's where we want to land. And we have confidence that we have absolute truth in Scripture, and that's why we defend it. And it so turns out, the more you study truth, the more you find that it confirms. And we're going to talk a little bit about a whole area today on the age of the earth before... Uh, or after I finish introducing it here. Uh, yeah, Marshall has been, been doing a lot of studying lately. In fact, he's preparing for the next CSF or has prepared for the next CSF meeting, which is next Tuesday. And he's going to present uh, some of what he will present there, more detailed, obviously, and, than what we can do on and the let's, radio. Let's invite the audience to that next Tuesday, 7 o'clock at Faith Church, Moon and Central Yes, uh, uh, is where they meet the Second Tuesday of each next Tuesday. Yeah, second Tuesday. Third of each Tuesday. Month. Third Tuesday. Of Third each Tuesday month. of the month, um, and we'll meet at seven o'clock. And then, are, are you still on the calendar for the following month? Or well, uh, they had because we had that special. Um, what was it? Uh, eclipse. Right, right, right. We had a, a speaker from Answers in Genesis, so that kind of pushed everything. Danny uh, Faulkner was here. Yeah, yeah, he was awesome. Yeah, in fact, yeah. you interviewed him. Uh, we, we tried. Oh, you did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it just, his schedule, uh, Didn't he was, he was out. in demand, uh, very happy to have him in, in town. And we made sure where people could go hear him that weekend. Cause he had several dates, right. uh, were, uh, right. Uh, so anyway, I've been pushed back to January. Okay. So I'll be the main speaker at January. Third Tuesday it's, of each month though, uh, creation science fellowship in New Mexico, faith church, moon and central. Yes. Okay. So just by way of introduction, we've already looked at why we believe in a relatively young earth and primarily because that's what the biblical record seems to indicate. So we take a more grammatical, historical, contextual approach to scripture, simplifying that. We call that the literal method of interpretation. And if you do that, you can't get around, for example, Genesis 1 talks about six days of creation not six billion years of creation, but six days. And actually, to go into detail about that, remind our listeners, they can go back to abqconnect.online yes. and hear our past discussions. Right. And you've posted them as well, Ray. On my website, forhisglorynm, F-O-R, forhisglorynm.com. Yeah, and I would encourage the listener to do that. It's compelling. Right. So we 
tried to demonstrate that uh, the days in Genesis are relatively short. In fact, we asked the question at the end, why did God take so much time? Because he could have said, let there be a universe and there would be a universe. But uh, we answered that question as well. And then we have the chronologies of the genealogies that are laid out fairly carefully, it seems, in Scripture to give us a relatively young earth. And if you do all the biblical calculations, you can come up with a, a creation somewhere in the range of 4,000 It's almost like BC. God knew we needed that. Yes. You yeah. know, yeah. Uh, the, here you go. Here, do the math. Yep. Pretty simple math. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah I, add I love him. Obviously, I love him, and I love that he did that for us. So we spent uh, the the time arguing for the biblical case, and then we began. Uh, I just barely introduced that the science behind it uh, actually defends what we have in the biblical record, and we're going to continue that this time and the next several months that we do this. That is, if you keep inviting me, that is. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's on the calendar already, brother. But uh, most believers, and this is what young people need to know, especially those that are confronted by the secular world, public school or state schools or virtually any school, even a lot of Christian schools, they need to realize that the science itself supports a relatively young earth. Now, uh, I was planning... One before we interrupted last time to give a little bit of an introduction and go over some of the areas that we will cover. And I wanted to mention, for example, one of the main areas that supports the old earth idea is the geological column. We talked about that when we were talking about the Genesis flood. And I hope I demonstrated that if you interpret the geological record more accurately, and the data actually suggests that uh, those layers were not laid down in millions and millions of years, but rather the Genesis flood gives a perfectly good explanation for the geological layers all the way down to yeah. the Cambrian. So that eliminates all of those millions of years that the geologist uses to say that the earth is 4.5 billion years. And there's other areas. We're going to talk about radiometric dating today, and we may not cover it all, so we may have two sessions on it. And next time, I've invited Russ Humphreys. He's kind of an expert in uh, astrophysics and physics itself, and he's going to be our guest next time, and he's going to talk about another issue that the old Earth people depend on is how can you explain stars that are billions of light years away. It took billions of years for the light to get here, didn't it? Well, Russ Humphreys is going to give a biblical explanation for that. Can so I do a, spo a, can I do a spoiler we... on that one? I think I've heard him talk about that. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, the big question is, has light always traveled at the same speed? I That's mean, one of the issues, yeah. but there's others as well that he will propose. Yeah, really looking forward to that. Always, again, yeah. compelling conversation and uh, be prepared to take notes. And after that, uh, there'll be other areas that I'll deal with as well. In other words, we can look at other clocks. In other words, there's different ways of measuring time in terms of the past. And most of those other clocks give a relatively young date for the age of the universe rather than the billions of years that are commonly 
put forward by the secularist. Well, and and finish your introduction. We're we're close to uh, a break, but I'll I'll let you finish the, the introduction and uh, uh, and introduce our guest. Uh, and then uh, before we really pile into it, uh, we'll take a quick break. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I want to do in one of the meetings, probably not till January, but uh, is to go into a little bit more detail on why the secularist is so confident. Now, we're going to deal a little bit of that today. But why is he so confident, for example, in the geological column? Why is he so confident in the starlight issue? and some of the other evidence that he uses for the idea that the universe and the earth is billions of years old. So those are some of, that's kind of a preview of some of the things I'd like to handle in some of the other sessions. Looking forward to that. And I remember we have Ray in once a month, so uh, make sure you're, you're watching uh, uh, and listening for when we get Ray back. And if you miss it again, it's, it's archived. put it on websites and you've got it archived. That's right. That's right. Okay. So, uh, let's uh, formally introduce our guest. Well, as you've already started, uh, Marshall, in fact, for your radio audience, I like to say MJ to kind of get their interest. <laughs> a different Jordan. I'm, a different Jordan. Do, Dr. Jordan, I am already interested. <laughs> All right. Thank you. For saying that. <laughs> yeah, Marshall Jordan, how many years have you uh, been a medical doctor? You've been well, practicing. Make sure to pull that mic good and close. About, about 40 years uh, I, I practice surgery, and I'm done now, and I'm glad to be done. So he's been a medical doctor primarily here in New Mexico. No, and about half of it in half Massachusetts it? Okay. and the other half here. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, you, you talk about someone who's been able to look closely at creation. Uh, and well, he's a, a creationist. Uh, I, mean, I know, he's but a I mean, the machine that we are. I oh, mean, absolutely. you know, just as a lay person, how do you not look at the human body and, and marvel? It's very important to anyone involved with healthcare realize that whenever you touch, talk to, or go inside or treat a human being, that people are made in the image of God, and therefore you're you're treading on, in a sense, on a sacred ground. I love it. And so you have to be very careful there. But it is the Lord's work. He supports those who care for others. And so you nurses, you doctors out there, call on the Lord and ask him to help you do it, and he will. Very good. So Marshall also has an MS in biophysics. So he's not just a medical doctor, but actually a scientist. And he's been a longtime member of the Creation Research Society, and you've written some articles even, haven't you? Yes, I managed to get a couple published. I, I consider myself an amateur scientist because I spent my career taking out gallbladders and <laughs> fixing hernias rather than studying. But I'm trying to catch up now in my old age and uh, actually do some scientific work, and it's very interesting. Great. All right. Well, so we, we'll look forward to hearing from you yeah, in the we have next segment. Quite a bit to go through next several segments, the next few segments yes, here. Uh, for, we have uh, you both here for the full hour. Uh, we're in studio with Raymond Dragon and uh, Dr. Marshall Jordan, and we're going to continue our conversation considering the age of the earth, the age of the universe, when we come back from the break on ABQ Connect. Well, thanks again for joining us on ABQ Connect. Once a month, uh, we connect with Creation Science Fellowship of New Mexico next Tuesday. Uh, you'll have opportunity to hear from Dr. Marshall Jordan. Uh, he's in studio with us with our monthly guest from Creation Science Fellowship in New Mexico, uh, Ray Mondragon. And uh, Ray, we ready to jump in? I think so. I, I just wanted to remind your audience as well, if they've been listening to the whole series or parts of it anyway, 
Marshall has been with us two times. Now, it's been over a year now. We were just talking before that uh, Jim Williams was right. the uh, host at that time. So, Which, by the way, Jim still typically hosts Mondays. Yeah. So for those so, for those that have heard enough of me, they can tune in Monday. Right. So Marshall has <laughs> been here, and he's back, and he's going to talk about radiometric dating, and he's going to start off by explaining what we talk about when we refer to radiometric dating and or radiocarbon dating. Yes, uh, thank you. A radiocarbon dating is a form of radiometric dating. It has to do with the carbon-14 in the atmosphere, which is a radioactive form of carbon that's made by the cosmic rays, actually. And what happens is plants uh, undergo photosynthesis and make this carbon into their tissues, the cellulose and plants and all. And then animals eat the plants. And so animals, living animals, living plants in the atmosphere all have this carbon-14 in them. Now, when an animal or a plant dies, the amount of carbon-14 begins to decay at about a half-life of 5,700 years. And so you can actually determine the age of an ancient carbon by how much C14 remains in the carbon sample. And this has been a great boon to, uh, to archaeology. But unfortunately, when they go further back in time, it goes off the rails because of their assumptions, and they've used this radiocarbon dating to say that like Neanderthals, for example, lived in Europe 40,000 plus years ago, which is way off the rails, and is, they've extended the technique beyond what they can really know. And w what would, I mean, what, uh, they, I, I guess they would just, they would simply say, well, no, I mean, I mean, you just, you just said how quickly it decays. Well, one thing uh, so we something need, must something must be different. One thing that we need to always keep in mind. Uh, I don't know if your audience remembers, but I I distinguished observational science from historical science. Uh -huh. And when we're dealing with the past, you're dealing with historical science, and lots of assumptions right. go into. Yeah. So they're yeah. making so clearly, Doctor Jordan. Right. They're making an assumption. Yes, the big Lots assumption, there's a number of assumptions, and they work pretty well until you get back to about 1000 B.C., about the time of King David is when everything goes off the rails. And I've looked at the radiocarbon calibration curves, and that's where it goes off the rails and never comes back. And what's happened is they're assuming that the C14 content in the atmosphere doesn't change greatly over time. But in fact, we have evidence that it was very low at the time of the flood and in the pre-flood world. It was very little carbon-14 in the air because we measure it today in coal, and coal has carbon-14 in it, which is astonishing by itself and overturns the secular view of millions of years. Okay, so what, what was so different pre-flood uh, as, as opposed to uh, the time of David? Ex excellent question, and we have very little idea. As a matter of fact, uh, Russell Humphreys has some ideas about that also, but we don't really understand that. But the interesting thing is that coal, all over the world, the coal uh, samples have C14 in them. And according to the secular view, coal should have no C14 because it's supposed to be hundreds of millions of years old. Huh. The coal was supposed to have been laid down in the Carboniferous period 300 million years ago. And the youngest coal in the world is 60 million years old, they say. But if it's that old, it should have no C14 at all because of the short half-life of C14. If the whole Earth was solid C14, it would all be gone in a million years with a half-life of 5,700 years. So, so that, this threw them for a loop. Uh, 
But the creationists expect coal to have C14 because coal is from plants that were buried in the global flood of Noah. Okay, so another question. So this is going to relate back to all the things we talked about concerning the Genesis flood. Right. So all of this adds to all that, remember I called it overwhelming scientific evidence? This whole area adds to that. Okay, so how come I don't, and and realize, uh, let me let me preface what I'm going to say with, I'm somewhat aware of what you're saying already uh, and agree with what you're saying. Um, however, I want to think about those that are listening. Uh, if, if it's so clear to us uh, that something changed, how come we don't find it in public school textbooks? Oh, yeah. Well, of course, you know, all of these... Um, old earth concepts and these uh, assumptions they make to get the earth to be millions and millions, even billions of years old. This is the paradigm that they're operating with. And you're not allowed in public schools to go against that, really, or in in most academic settings. Uh, They make assumptions that are old earth assumptions in order to get an old earth result, and that they promote as being the gospel truth. And so they're trying to overturn the record of Genesis and the historical record of the Bible. Yeah, and not just public schools, but higher education. Oh, for sure. Yes, for sure, higher education. And you can't get a PhD in biology in America unless you believe in evolution, or at least keep your your creationist uh, credentials well hidden. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, remember, this is the whole secular versus biblical debate that we've been having throughout this series. And the secularist is adamant that there was no Genesis flood. So they even deny it, and uh, they explain it away by the geological record, and that's why I went into such detail to explain. There's a different way of understanding that. Nobody was there, except Noah and his family, and we have a record of what happened only biblically. There's no pre-flood record. So uh, we have the advantage of having the inspired Word of God that informs us on all of these issues. Yeah, I think that's really important, Ray, because there is no secular scientific opinion that can overturn the historic record of the Bible, which is the Word of God and which is accurate in all that it says. And so when a scientist comes along and by some convoluted argumentation tries to say the world is millions of years old and you can't trust the Bible, he's going, he's just fabricating things and going way out on the limb and making all kinds of assumptions to get there. He may believe it's true, but the Scripture stands on its own and can be trusted. You know, I don't want to get too far off track, but I'm sitting here thinking, okay, um, I'm thinking about these, uh, what we're saying, secular scientists, and what would keep them from um, uh, accepting, you know, the things that we're talking about. And in my head, I'll be transparent, I'm you know, the first thing that comes to mind is the veil. Yeah, uh, the, yeah. You know, yeah we um, talked about now that. Now, I want to be careful about saying that mm-hmm. uh, because there are people who believe, cling to, trust, and rely on the gospel of Jesus Christ, who we would consider brothers and sisters, who continue to believe uh, what these secular scientists are saying. Yeah, that's uh, a really good point. Uh, I think... We have to understand scientists are humans just like the rest of us. They have a mortgage to pay. They have a a college fund. And so they want to go with what is acceptable so that they can 
prosper in their in their work, and so they have a tremendous incentive to uh, to to stick with the paradigm that they're dealing with in terms of the old earth. They may be fine Christians, and we will find out in heaven they'll be corrected. I think according to the <laughs> biblical record, but uh, we shouldn't automatically uh, think less of them. They just are stuck in this paradigm, and it, they've been told over and over again their whole lives that it's millions and billions of years, millions and billions of years, yeah. and they just can't seem to get away from that. Well, and, and you know, when it comes to talking about someone who's a non-Christian, and, you know, uh, those, you know, all of us who should be sharing the gospel in one way or another, I mean, it is a command for all of us to, not just missionaries, mm -hmm. and, um, uh, you know, to uh, find some alleviation from frustration banging your head against the wall, sharing the truth with someone. Uh, where I've gotten past that is, look, it's the Spirit who convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, mm -hmm. and judgment. That's not my job. My job is to love like Christ, right. and my job is to share the truth. Yep. So don't own someone else believing correctly the gospel. Mm -hmm. And to, to a certain extent, I, I, I would think it would be the same with these truths that we believe uh, about creation, whether we believe in young, you know, young Earth or an old Earth, uh, we can accept uh, those in the faith who, as I mentioned, are clearly Christians, brothers and sisters, um, and don't be frustrated or angry. Um, just let the Spirit do its work. Excuse me. Let the Spirit do His work. In yes. uh, in you know, and and in my life too. There's areas of Scripture where I probably have kind of missed it right. uh, and right. uh, uh, need to, you know, in some ways take the log out of my own eye. Yeah, yeah. we've been stressing also that uh, pretty much everything that we've been doing in this series is the minority view. Yeah. And it's the minority view, certainly from the secular perspective, but even within the church. And of all of the minority of minority views, the age of the earth is probably the, the most minority, if you will. Oh. Yes, well, I think I think it is important, though, as Ken Ham stresses in his organization, that the foundations of the Christian faith are laid in the early chapters of Genesis. And so those Christians who doubt the uh, truth of the early chapters of Genesis or misinterpret them are in a weakened position. And so that's that would not bode well for their being them being able to tell others about the truth of the gospel. And it undermines the gospel because the same arguments that say that man looks like an ape and therefore we must have evolved from apes, you can say, well, Jesus looked like a normal man, therefore he must have been only a normal man. But we know better, don't we, that he's the Son of God who rose from the dead. And so you can take the same arguments that they're making against Genesis— and you could use them all the way through and denounce everything in the Bible. And that's what they do. That's what they do. And so the dominoes start falling over. So how much better is it? And I just thank the Lord for the day I came to understand the truth of the early chapters of Genesis after reading the Genesis Flood by Whitcomb and Morris in the mm. 1980s that I could trust the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And that was such a wonderful experience. And I have never looked back from that. And it's still helping me to understand what's going on. All right. Well, uh, again, we're up against the break, but we're going to spend the full hour today uh, with made, uh, Ray Mondragon uh, with the Christian Science Fellowship in New Mexico and his guest, uh, Dr. Marshall Jordan, who will be speaking next Tuesday night at the Creation Science Fellowship of New Mexico's monthly meeting uh, at Faith Church. Uh, it's 
uh, Central and Moon at 7 o'clock next Tuesday night. We'll take a quick break and uh, more after this on ABQ Connect. All right, you're listening to ABQ Connect. Just heard that uh, spot from Faith uh, Faith Five, Faith and Finance, and they mentioned uh, it being sponsored by John Moore Associates here in Albuquerque uh, on top of thanking them for their support. I uh, also want to remind you that uh, Brian Cochran from John Moore Associates will be uh, with us Friday for our Friday financial update, uh, so make sure to tune in for that. And one other note, uh, next Monday, uh, November 13th, is the beginning of the Operation Christmas Child Collection Week. Uh, that'll be happening at Calvary Church, uh, Osuna West of Jefferson in, New Mex- or in, in Albuquerque. And I say it'll be happening at Calvary Church. It's happening all over the place. The, the, the boxes are being brought as the pickup point to Calvary Church starting next week. You can still go out to the store and build box. A great thing to do with the kids. Uh, the kids love to put those boxes together for kids uh, their age uh, that, that you're sending them to somewhere else on the globe. You can also uh, build one of the boxes by going online to calvarynm.church/occ, and of course, uh, each box uh, you're encouraged to put uh, donate ten dollars uh, towards uh, getting it where it needs to be. And if you do that online, one of the advantages to doing it that way is you can follow the gift box to its destination to where a little boy or girl not only gets you know the toys and the toiletries and other things that you've you've provided uh, for them uh, but they get the gospel of jesus christ as well and how how sweet and powerful uh, that is so go to uh, the website calvarynm.church slash occ uh, for more information about next week's operation christmas child collection week now earlier in today's show i mentioned a couple of times that this coming tuesday is when the Creation Science Fellowship of New Mexico is meeting. Uh, correction, uh, that will be on the 21st. The third Tuesday of the month is when they meet, right. and we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, <laughs> uh, yesterday was the 7th, and uh, two weeks from that, uh, and that was the first Tuesday, two weeks from that will be the 21st, when you'll be able to hear more from Dr. Marshall Jordan, who's in studio with us. And and uh, you know we're t- we always talk a little bit off, some of the best conversations in the studio or when we're off the air. Uh, and one of the things that Dr. Jordan said uh, was, oh, I've got more to say about that. And I'm and I'm looking forward to it because he was on the topic of, of carbon-14 dating. Uh, and it's, it's, it's so important that we hear this, Dr. Jordan, because, I mean, it was what I was taught uh, in, in public school. And it wasn't until probably hearing from Ken Ham uh, some of the things that he's done with Answers in Genesis that uh, I was even aware that uh, it was, you know, there were some assumptions being made. Yes, you know, when they talk about uh, carbon-14 dating, they rarely mention the assumptions. And so people think that it's as accurate as flying to the moon or, or to calculating the mass of an electron or something. You know, it's not. It's very much based upon assumptions. For example, they make uh, Neanderthal uh, remains to be over 40,000 years old based upon the small amount of C14 in their tissues. But that assumes that when the Neanderthal was alive, it was the same amount of C14 in his tissues as we have today when we're alive, you see. And so they've made an assumption of constant C14 in the atmosphere. But we know that's wrong because coal is from plants buried in the uh, Noahic flood, in the flood of Noah, and coal has C14. It has very little 
So there was very little C14 in the pre-flood world. And when you compare that to Neanderthal, it shows that Neanderthal probably lived a couple hundred years after the flood. And so that all makes sense with the biblical record, of course, that we're all descended from Noah. And so how does the secular scientist react to this? Well, first off, he said there can't be any C14 in coal. But when, when Don, Dr. Baumgartner and Dr. Humphreys measured it and published it in 2003, coal samples from all over America were tested, along with natural gas and oil deposits, and all of them had C14. And guess what? They all had about the same amount of C14, which means one thing, that they all died at about the same time. Now, you tell me what kind of process can make all the plants that form the coal, gas, and oil die at the same time some kind of catastrophe yeah some kind of waterborne thing that covered the whole earth okay so how does the secular mind the secular scientists react to this well if they have three ways they react to this first off they deny it's true there's no c14 in coal second they try to uh explain it away and thirdly they might think they ignore it that's all they do they do the same thing with this as they did with soft tissue in dinosaur i don't know if you've talked about that yeah. on this program yeah uh, we mentioned it yeah. yeah well when soft tissues were discovered in t-rex bones and dinosaur bones not just once or twice but from all over the world the first thing they did is deny it then they try to explain it away Contamin- and now they ignore it yeah, yeah. contamination <laughs> now they ignore it you so, see you know pr- I'm you know I'm hearing pride pride really enters in here doesn't it it's yeah. huge it's huge because they don't want to give up their paradigm you know if they give up the world being millions and billions of years old all of a sudden the scriptures becomes the authority there's nothing nowhere else to turn you either have evolution or god created everything and either the bible's true or it's not and so that's where they're stuck and now, many uh, scientists are Christians, and they want to believe all of the Bible, but they've been intimidated by their colleagues and by all of this uh, propaganda that's coming out. It's and been ca- going careers on. are at stake yeah, in some ca- cases. very much so. And so, if, for example, Mary Schweitzer, who discovered the soft tissue in the T-Rex bone from, from Montana, published it in early 2000s, and she's a Christian but she believes in theistic evolution and she wants to keep her career. And so she is sticking with trying to explain soft tissue vessels and uh, red cells in the dinosaur bones, even though they're supposed to be 65 million years old. Okay, so now I'm just going to get fun, okay? All right. If they're soft tissue, does it mean we can make Jurassic Park? (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, (laughs) DNA decomposes very rapidly. Okay. Okay. There are DNA fragments, however, in the dinosaur bones. They're found in... And a lot of fossils have not only proteins that are recognizable, but fragments of DNA. Okay. Well, I tried. Yes. <laughs> you know, he was way ahead of his time who wrote that uh, Jurassic uh, Park. Yeah, yeah, Michael Crichton, yes, I believe. Yes, he was way ahead of his time. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, uh, more on C14? Well, sure. Certainly. Um, the C14, then, is we think it's very low during the, the flood and, after, and right after because the carbon-14 level of coal is much lower than we would expect. If the flood was really about 4,500 years ago, that's less than one half-life of C14. So the amount of C14 in the coal, if, if the atmospheric concentration were the same back then, should be more than 50% of today's level because less than one half-life has transpired. But in fact, it's only less than 1% of today's level. And that implies that the C14 content of the atmosphere at the time of the flood was very low, less than 1% of today's level. Uh, Neanderthal remains run about uh, about 
three times what we're finding in coal, three or four times. But the curve is very steep back then. If you come in two weeks to our Creation Science Fellowship in New Mexico, I can show you all the data you want to see uh, about the curve. But it's very steep there because the C14 level was so low after the flood, and then it's come up to today's level, and I think it reached today's level about 1,000 BC because that's where the radiocarbon calibration curves that we use today, that all the scientists use today, seem to be accurate back to about 1,000 BC. And so I think that's where the level approached what, about what we have now. So that means it's a very steep increase. And I actually asked Dr. Humphrey about this this summer, uh, what's the cause, and he's got a new paper out that he th thinks he can explain why the cosmic rays increased at the time of the flood and Increase the C14. Uh, I'd love to talk to him again about this because he certainly knows a lot. Well, okay, now I'm sitting here thinking, uh, I'm, I'm thinking back to something you said uh, about assumptions that are made <clears throat> and, uh, and what science is. Um, uh, if, uh, if assumptions are made about carbon 14 um, that, are, you know, that support their view, um, does the if they if a, if they have to use assumptions? Well, we all we all uh, use assumptions. Yeah. It, the mat, the the question is, are they valid assumptions? Right. Or are they that's faulty? What was, that's are they what faulty it, it, assumptions? It, yeah. To to say there was a, a, an assumption involved right. doesn't negate it being science. That's right. Yeah. Well, we made we all make assumptions as as well, Ray says. That's the that's the nature of historical science. Yeah. You have the data. Yeah. You have the traces of an event. That's all you got, yeah. whether it's a document or whether it's a rock layer. That's all we have to evaluate. And then in present time, we have to make assumptions as to certain things concerning the data. So you have yes, the no. data plus the interpretation, and that's your conclusion. Yes. Now, the assumption with the uh, biblical calibration of C-14 is that the flood was about 4,500 years ago and that the coal is from plants buried at the flood. Those are two main assumptions that I'm making. But I think those are very valid because they're consistent with what the Word of God says. Right. Right. It's not that we're verifying Scripture with science. Rather, we are interpreting science in the light of God's inerrant Word, right. which is trustworthy. And, and we get the, and uh, as you already mentioned, we get to the date, you know, to gen the date of Genesis 1 uh, through genealogies and, and things. And we get to the uh, authenticity of the Bible. Uh, from things like we were talking about off the air, uh, things that uh, 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 Mr. McDowell has shared, uh, uh, and uh, you know, when you go, how accurate the original documents are, and how trustworthy they are, how many, how many of them there are to right. support uh, the Bible, as compared to other historical documents that people take as fact, uh, you know, as or I should say, as accurate, right. like Homer's Odyssey or other. Right. Uh, uh, you know, ancient manuscripts, the Bible is, and that's a whole, I know that's a whole nother show, but it's connected and, and the Bible is trustworthy. And if you haven't uh, sought that out, uh, the, the people who have provided that evidence, you know, evidence that demands a verdict. We, yes. You know, it's, it's even more, it's, it's exceedingly fundamental that the nature of reality has to be supernatural. There has to be a God. The materialists who say they can figure everything out scientifically, philosophically, they're very wrong because it doesn't hold together. And there's so many ways to see this. For example, with the DNA, 
all life is, is dependent upon DNA, and that is a chemical-coded language with information. And information can only come from an intelligent source. Yeah. So there must be a God. Their whole view that you can explain everything and you don't need God is completely bogus. You, you know, and, and uh, before we go to a break, uh, on the DNA and RNA, I have to tell you, uh, I was watching The Truth Project years ago from Focus on the Family, and so much appreciate uh, the illustration that the, just to watch the work of God in in RNA or DNA and and see the organization and you know it, it's uh, the intricacy. Uh, yeah, it's just it, there's clearly uh, design there, uh, and uh, to to believe otherwise uh, takes more faith. Uh, uh, I think than than what we believe. Yes. Uh, but hey, we're up against a break. We're uh, visiting with Ray Mondragon and uh, Dr. Marshall Jordan, uh, Creation Science Fellowship in New Mexico. Uh, more on the age of the Earth, the age of the universe, when we return after this on ABQ Connect. All right. Thanks for joining us on ABQ Connect. Join us uh, for the live service from Calvary Church uh, tonight at seven o'clock. You can tune in here at eighty-eight point three FM in Albuquerque. Or if you're listening in Las Cruces, 88.1 FM. Uh, Cannon Air Force Base listens at 90.7 FM and 93.5 FM in Portales. Of course, so many people downloading the app and listening on their device or on their uh, computer, just going to klyt.fm and click on the play button. You can listen to the station there as well. Uh, we're visiting with Ray Mondragon and Dr. Marshall Jordan uh, with Creation Science Fellowship of New Mexico talking about the age of the universe. And before we jump back in, Ray uh, and Dr. Jordan, I just have to tell you uh, uh, how much, no, really, how much I appreciate and enjoy having you here. And thank you so much uh, for uh, sharing what you know with our audience. Uh, and you said it at the beginning, Ray, you know, it's important that we know the truth right? and we share the truth. And uh, as Christians, I think we couldn't love people any better than to do that because Absolutely. in in doing yeah. so uh we're wanting the best for the people that are listening right uh so thank you both for being here and i'll throw it back to you ray uh, well, we're, as, we're, as, we're convinced and the evidence shows it if you just look at the bible scientifically from a science perspective and it, and you evaluate it and compare it to any document that has ever been written there is more evidence that demonstrates that the Bible is more reliable than anything that has ever been written by man. And the Bible claims that it is inspired by God, and that alone kind of supports that idea. Yeah, and you so know, we put our confidence in what the Bible says, and then we, as Jordan says, then we look at science and try yeah. to fit science and evaluate science, and yeah. that's what we're doing what, today. What, am what amazes me, and I love to hear these stories of people like, uh, uh, the McDowell's, uh, or Lee Strobel or C.S. Lewis and these, or Marshall Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> these people who set out though, to, I'm not to, quite in that category to, <laughs> to disprove though, uh, the authenticity of the scripture. Uh, and it's and, been the most tested book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, in my own life, I was raised in a Christian uh, uh, family, and I was a prodigal and went to college. I believed in evolution. I was steeped in all of this stuff. I used to make fun of my mom, who believed the Bible, you know, and she had a Ph.D., and I used to make fun. How can you have a Ph.D. and, and, and believe that stuff? But the Lord worked in my life, and he brought me to the end of myself when I was in medical school, and 
it, that is, I think, one verification of the truth of Scripture, is that the Lord God is real, and he does care about us, mm-hmm. and he does interact with us in life. He sent his Son to save us from, from our sins and give us eternal life, and therefore the Bible verifies itself in the life of people. That's the amazing thing. Right. And so, yeah, my understanding of science came along after that. You know, as I began to take the Bible seriously in my life and repented, <laughs> then it began to make a lot of sense. And I read Henry Morris and John Whitcomb's book, The Genesis Flood. And for my generation, that was a huge uh, improvement in our understanding of science in the light of Scripture. That was the beginning of the modern creation science movement, was that, that book. Yeah. And we... We've got about three minutes before we need to, to put a bow on this. So I, I want to throw that out there, not not to stop you, but to encourage you to press on. I want to make sure before we finish today, uh, you don't leave anything out there that you, you wanted to make sure to share while you're here. Well, I certainly, you know, I think the bottom line is this, that the scientists who don't believe the Bible try to overturn the Scripture with their scientific understanding of you things. Might, you might read what you sent me earlier, and I've got it right here. All right, so Ray wants me to stop rambling <laughs> and to get on topic, and I thank you for that, Ray. And all right, so don't believe the convoluted and tortured explanations of secular scientists who claim the world is billions of years old and so deny the historical record of God's inerrant word. God's word is true and scientific facts viewed in the light of the Bible are consistent with a universe that is only a few thousand years old. And there's no science that overturns that. That's the bottom line. Yeah, yeah, you couldn't have said it better. Well, I think your rambling was pretty good, though. I yeah, was enjoying well, that too. I can ramble a lot, but you know, the, the science. You know, see, the scientists intimidate people into believing millions of years, and they do so because people automatically give scientists credit because we got cell phones in our pockets, we drive in cars, they put men on the moon and bring them back alive, and therefore science has great credibility. But when the scientist holds up a dinosaur bone and says we radiocarbon dated it and it's millions of years old or whatever, then that is a completely uncheckable. There's no accountability there. If you, if you make a miscalculation on a rocket, you miss the moon. And if you mess up on the, an operation, the patient doesn't survive. But the well, secular scientist can say anything he wants, and who's to know? Well, here's a, here's a, I'm sure you'll totally approve, based on what you're saying. Where's the brontosaurus? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Where's the beef, you mean? <laughs> we'll have to patent that one. Yeah, very good. <laughs> well, uh, uh, right back to you for uh, to really put a bow on it. In about well, a I'd like to encourage your audience to come to our Creation Science Fellowship meeting in two weeks. Yeah, it's on the 21st. 21st, <laughs> rather than next week. And, and at Faith Bible Church Central and Moon at 7 p.m. Right. And the dot org. CSF, Creation Science Fellowship, New Mexico, CSFNM.org. And all the information is there, including the lineup, which will right. include uh, Dr. Jordan. Absolutely. Hopefully it's there. Yeah, and yeah. in January we get to hear from you. Uh, hopefully, but we don't need to wait until January because no. uh, you'll you'll be back uh, in in December. In uh, December, I'm going to bring Russ Humphreys. Well, at least via telephone, willing, right? Yeah, good. Yeah, and uh, he's a world class scientist. So your audience is going to be privileged. Uh, I counted a privilege to even. Me too. Know him. Yeah. I didn't find out until today's <laughs> right. show. Yeah. Uh, and, and I was like, really? So nice. he's going to talk about starlight and time. And Very good. 
this is the probably the the biggest obstacle for us as creation scientists is explaining that issue yeah. and he oh this yeah. he's an expert in it and i think your audience will good well, um, uh, I do again. I want to thank uh, Ray Mondragon and uh, uh, today's special guest, uh, Dr. Marshall Jordan, uh, retired MD, uh, for joining us, and, uh, and not only for joining us, Dr. Jordan, but speaking at a level that you know, uh, you know, I'm the DJ bumping into walls. Uh, so thank you for the time uh, you took to to share with us. I uh, I consumed, uh, and it, it's it's. Uh, it's just continued education that I truly enjoy. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. All right. And Read your Bibles. That's right. Read your Bibles. Definitely. Uh, join us uh, tomorrow. The Rio Grande Foundation in studio. Russ, uh, our, um, Paul, Paul Guessing, excuse me, will uh, join us uh, for the full hour. And you can find uh, archive shows at abqconnect.online. Stick around. Jay Seculo on the way next on KLYT.